Mr. Speaker. Who? Who? Never heard of him. I don't know why I came here tonight. They ain't got one. I got the feeling that something ain't right. They'll never have a speaker. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Paul Ryan? What? And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. No, no speaker. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest and China Lake, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and coast-to-coast coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another barn burner of a broadcast. Uh, at least if, uh, if if today keeps up as the past 24 hours have, which have been uh, really quite amazing. Quite amazing. Joe Biden is out. Paul Ryan is in. Maybe. Maybe not. I doubt it. We'll find out uh, all of that uh, d- coming up on today's program and coming up on uh, today's program. My conversation and this really this has a lot to do with Paul Ryan uh, and and his announcement that he will sort of kind of maybe maybe accept the job of Speaker of the House if it comes with a certain uh, certain agreements in advance. In any case, uh, my conversation with conservative icon. And I underscore conservative, not necessarily Republican, but conservative icon Richard Vigory. Uh, He is uh, the funding father, is what they call him, the funding father of the modern conservative movement. So named after he pretty much invented the practice of direct mail fundraising back in the 70s. And he has been sort of a, 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 a... a godfather to the conservative movement ever since. Uh, and he still is today, even at uh, in his 80s, as I recall. I, I thought it would be a good idea to talk to him to try to figure out what the hell conservatives are thinking. They've taken down uh, John Boehner. They've taken down Eric Cantor. They've taken down Kevin McCarthy. They're taking down their own people, seemingly, in the U.S. House. And now the question is, will they ever be able to find a U.S. House speaker? So we're going to talk about that because I I really want to figure out what it is that Republicans are thinking, that conservatives are thinking. So uh, we'll have that conversation. We'll have it out, as it were, uh, with uh, Richard Vigory. I really do want to know what they are thinking. So we will talk about that. But first... Uh, Today, the decision that many were waiting for, many uh, certainly many Democrats were waiting for to hear whether 
Vice President Joe Biden would get in or out of the presidential race. Uh, the answer is, according to Joe Biden in a uh, White House Rose Garden uh, announcement this morning, Joe Biden is out. As my family and I have worked through the, uh, the grieving process, I've said all along that it may very well be that that process, uh, uh, by the time we get through it, closes the window on mounting a realistic campaign uh, for president. I've concluded it has closed. It has closed. Joe Biden goes on to say he will not be a candidate. Uh, the grieving process he refers to, of course, is uh, that uh, for his son, Bo Biden, the uh, uh, attorney general of Delaware, 46 years old, died earlier this year in May. The Bidens have been uh, grieving ever since, and uh, the vice president has been trying to decide whether he'd get in or out of the race. Now he says uh, he will be out. He will not be a candidate, but that he will not be silent about the issues facing America. He went on to give a speech that kind of outlined his view uh, of America, the direction the country is going, which to me, Desi Doyen, made it kind of clear that he was very seriously looking at getting in. This could almost, uh, with just a few changes in words today, uh, could have been an announcement speech rather than a, I'm getting out, I ain't running Yeah, speech. I noticed that immediately yeah. when, when he, he gave his remarks at the uh, in the Rose Garden. That it, you could switch out just a few words, and exactly, it would sound like it would be his announcement speech rather than his declining he speech. He went through bullet point by bullet point uh, things that he, he cares about. And by the way, that's Desi Doyen. Hi, Desi. I forgot hi. to say hi. Desi Doyen, our producer. He went through bullet point after uh, point after point, and each of these, or at least many of them, were clearly sort of directed at, oh, this piece is directed at uh, Bernie Sanders. This piece is directed at Hillary Clinton. Uh, he said that he will speak out clearly and forcefully to influence as much as I can where we stand as a party and where we need to go as a nation. He said President Obama, quote, has led the nation from crisis to recovery and that it would be, quote, a tragic mistake if we walk away or attempt to undo the Obama legacy. He said that fighting to improve growth, uh, economic growth and fairness for the middle class is, uh, a, quote, a matter of social stability for this nation. And that we cannot sustain the current levels of inequality that exist in this country. I believe the huge sums of unlimited and often secret money pouring into our politics is a fundamental threat to our democracy. And I really mean that. I think it's a fundamental threat because the middle class will never have a fighting chance in this country as long as just several hundred families, the wealthiest families, control the process. It's just that simple. And I believe we have to level the playing field for the American people. And that's going to take access education and opportunity to work. He said uh, he went on to say Joe Biden did that we need to commit to 16 years of free public education for all of our children. So he, he's talking about he's talking about the middle class. He's talking about uh, secret money in our elections. Secret money in our elections has been uh, something that uh, uh, Lawrence Lessig is talking. Actually, all of the Democrats Maybe except for Jim Hillary. Webb, but he's not there Well, anymore. and maybe except for Hillary Clinton. I don't know that she's talked about getting dark money out of our elections, has she? 
Good question. I and could in, not tell you yeah, for sure. One in any event, uh, certainly Bernie Sanders has, Martin O'Malley has, and so forth. Uh, so that was directed to them. He went on to say, we need to commit to 16 years of free public education for all of our children. That is something that Bernie Sanders has called for, free college, uh, four years of, uh, of uh, public or community college for all Americans. Uh, uh, he called for tripling child care uh, tax credits. He said, we need to learn more by the power of example than merely by the example of our power in uh, speaking to issues uh, like our all of our foreign wars. I believe we need to lead by, more by the power of our example, as the president has, than merely by the example of our power. We've learned some very hard lessons from more than a decade of large-scale, open-ended military invasions. We have to accept the fact that we can't solve all the world's problems. We can't solve many of them alone. The argument that we just have to do something when bad people do bad things isn't good enough. It's not a good enough reason for American intervention and to put our sons and daughters' lives on the line, on the line put them at risk. Once again, that was Joe Biden in the Rose Garden uh, on Tuesday saying he will not run. He went on uh, to say we also in his sort of laundry list of things that clearly he would have run on uh, that we need a, quote, moonshot in this country to cure cancer and to silence this deadliness. Obviously, that's uh, something that's important to him, having uh, lost his son, Bo, to brain cancer just a few months back. He said, I would have wanted to end cancer. Because it is possible, uh, had he uh, had he run for president, he called for equality for L- for the LGBT community. Uh, he said the ugly forces of hate and division they do not represent America. And he concluded his remarks optimistically by noting that uh, quote I am absolutely certain that we fully are capable of accomplishing extraordinary things. So that was Joe Biden today at the White House. Uh, he's out. So uh, now we have a, a better picture of where we're going in the uh, in the 2016 election, though, uh, how it all shakes out on either the Democratic or the Republican side. I haven't a clue. CNBC today announced uh, who will be in their main debate. The next Republican debate is next Wednesday. And I guess it's easier to say who won't be in it, who won't be in it. Uh, Governor Bobby Jindal, Rick Santorum. Uh, New York Governor George Pataki and Senator Lindsey Graham. They do not qualify for the grown-up table debate. They will be, I guess, in the uh, in the undercard debate, the kids table that will take place uh, prior to the main debate, which will now feature on the Republican side. uh, Jeb Bush, Ben Carson, Chris Christie, Ted Cruz, Carly Fiorina, Mike Huckabee, uh, uh, John Kasich, Rand Paul, not Ron Paul, Rand Paul. Marco Rubio, and, of course, some guy named Donald Trump. So that mess will continue. And we're going to take a quick break uh, and come back and talk about the mess in the uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives and whether Paul Ryan will or won't run or be allowed to be the next Speaker of the House. And then my conversation with conservative icon Richard Vigory. All of that and more straight ahead on your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Back in time, and welcome back to the Bradcast. It is, of course, uh, Back to the Future Day, the the day that was on the uh, uh, the DeLorean, Marty McFly's DeLorean, uh, set for uh, October 21, 2015, when he would travel into the future. Today is that day. Today is that day. Um, <laughs> and, and oddly enough, as I was listening to Joe Biden in the Rose Garden today, he said we were out of time. He kept saying, I'm out of time. There's no time. I'm out of time. And I kept thinking, yeah, surely back. he didn't really, you know, he wasn't making a connection. I think he was. With. I think he was doing a Back to the Future reference. It was an Easter egg for those of us who pay attention to those sorts of things. Joe Biden is out of time. Uh, Paul Ryan, on the other hand, may just be out of luck. We'll find out. Um, this is uh, this is just amazing, still amazing what's going on in the U.S. House. And we're going to speak in a moment uh, with uh, uh, conservative icon Richard Vigory from conservativehq.com to try to make sense of this, to try to make sense of what it is Republicans are thinking here in how they seem to ha- uh, you know, have, have been uh, creating a circular fire firing squad at this point against their own people in the U.S. House who aren't conservative, as they define it, who aren't conservative enough. All right, so Paul Ryan, he has been uh, widely reported in the corporate media as if he is, as if he would be the consensus candidate to take John Boehner's place. Uh, as a speaker of the House, Boehner has now stepped down. Paul Ryan, uh, they've been asking him now for a week or two since Kevin McCarthy, the majority leader, he stepped down or he at least took himself out of the running for U.S. House speaker. So now it's all up to Paul Ryan. He seems to be the only one that both the uh, so-called moderates in the party and the Freedom Caucus, the Tea Party Caucus, the far right conservative side of the uh, of the party can agree on, at least if you listen to the mainstream corporate media. But I'm not so sure that's the case. In any event, Paul Ryan finally stepped forward uh, in a uh, in a press conference on Tuesday night to say that he will run for U.S. House Speaker, but only only if he can unify the party, only if he can be the unity candidate for this divided party. He said that Republicans need to move from being, quote, an opposition party to a proposition party. He said that he would not sacrifice his time with his family and young children to go out and do a bunch of fundraising, as uh, House speakers usually do. He said uh, that uh, he would only consider it if all of these divided factions agreed that he should be the party speaker, the, the House speaker. Among his conditions uh, would the uh, is the requirement that the House uh, rules be changed to remove the ability for Congress members to, quote, void the chair. In other words, that's the ability to toss out the House speaker. Uh, and this is something that had been held against John Boehner for years. Uh, toss out the House speaker uh, if if they don't like what he's doing. And this was one of the reasons 
that Boehner was forced for so long to acquiesce to the demands of the far right wing of his party. So the 45-year-old Ryan, as AP reports, has been under intense pressure to seek the post, and he gave his colleagues until Friday to express their support to him. The question will be whether he can win over those hardliners in the House Freedom uh, Carcass. Close, close. Freudian slip there. Yeah, maybe so. The House Freedom Caucus, uh, the one which drove uh, 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 current Speaker Boehner to announce his resignation and uh, scared off uh, Boehner's uh, second-in-command, uh, Kevin McCarthy. Ryan, was, who was, of course, the GOP's 2012 vice presidential nominee, has consistently said he doesn't want the job. He'd prefer to stay on as the chairman of the uh, uh, Ways and Means Committee, the most powerful committee, really, in, uh, in Congress. He's described that as his dream job. But he's been under heavy pressure to reconsider from Boehner and other party leaders who argue that he is the only House Republican with the stature and broad popularity to unite a caucus divided against itself at a moment of deep turmoil. Well, uh, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if he can divide this party. I don't know if anybody can divide this party. You mean unite? Uh Oh, yeah. What did I say? Divide. divide. See where I am. I'm talking about (laughs) dividing. I'm talking about carcasses. I think I need to go back in time for uh, any any event. Thank you. Um, House uh, House GOP moderates, so-called, say that if Paul Ryan does not get the job, they might quit. Really? Seriously, Sarah Chamberlain, the chief operating and financial officer for the Republican Main Street Partnership, which supports GOP moderate uh, lawmakers, told the National Journal that depending on how this shakes out, you may see some Main Street members retire. Uh, Peter King, congressman from New York, said a lot has been put on hold. Uh, People are deciding to run again or not run again. Based on what happens right now, right here with these Republicans, Uh, Congressman Charlie Dent uh, of Pennsylvania, Republican of Pennsylvania, said he was, quote, preparing as if I'm running for reelection right now. But he said, we'll see what happens. The next two months are going to be pretty intense. And indeed, they are. They need a speaker because uh, we are about to face the debt limit once again. Uh, the time when that needs to be raised by Congress uh, in order to pay off things that we have already paid for, which somehow conservatives uh, think that it should be a bargaining chip. I don't understand that. How do they call themselves conservative uh, and and yet think that uh, we don't have to necessarily pay our bills, pay for the things that we have already uh, spent, that we've already borrowed in order to pay for uh, I'll ask uh, I'll ask Richard Vigory about that in a second because I've never understood that. That does not seem very conservative to me, especially when it ends up plunging the uh, the economy. If we default on our debts, if our credit limit is lowered, this will have a huge detrimental effect on the economy. And I don't understand how someone who pretends to be a conservative could support something like that. So uh, if Paul Ryan isn't in. A bunch of other House so-called moderates may be out. Harry Reid, the majority senator, uh, which uh, Talking Points Memo describes here as a master troller, and I think he really is, has endorsed Paul Ryan for speaker. 
That'll get the Republicans to support him, right? Uh, Harry Reid, uh, uh, according to Todd Zwilich of uh, uh, Public Radio and WNYC, uh, says that uh, Harry Reid says that uh, Paul Ryan, quote, Paul Ryan, who I hope gets to be the next speaker, appears to me to be one of the people who would be reasonable. Well, there go his chances to be speaker. He said, I'm a Paul Ryan fan. He's trolling so hard here, Harry Reid. Harry Reid is a Paul Ryan fan. How do you feel about that, conservatives? Uh, Reid, uh, when he was asked about his endorsement of Paul Ryan as speaker, said, quote, if it helps him, fine. If it doesn't, too bad. <laughs> That's uh, what Harry Reid had to say. Uh, in, in the meantime, uh, looking at the conservatives, again, the self-described conservative wing of the party, the Freedom Caucus, uh, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Like it doesn't look like they are going to agree to Paul Ryan's demands. It does not look like they are going to support him, which in theory means that Paul Ryan does not get in. If you go over to conservativehq.com uh, and look at the headlines, uh, Paul Ryan arrogantly demands an end to constitutional government. Uh, he demands, they say, that uh, establishment Republicans would apparently give unconditional support to the idea of one person setting the agenda for the House of Representatives and that that just shows how desperate the existing cabal of insiders is to hold on to their corner offices and how far from this country's founding principles their quest for power has taken them. Another headline, just say no to Amnesty and Paul Ryan as Speaker. This is uh, from Conservative HQ Today. Uh, they say they have a, a campaign, a letter writing campaign to demand a quote unquote conservative House speaker. They have thrown their support behind Daniel Webster of Florida as opposed to, quote, amnesty supporter Paul Ryan. I don't know that Paul Ryan is going to get that support that he needs to win 218 votes in a full election in the U.S. House. I don't know if Democrats are going to agree to throw in and, and support Paul Ryan or if we are going to move ahead with no House speaker at all or, I guess, John Boehner as the House speaker because he remains House speaker until someone comes in and replaces him. Well, over at uh, Conservative HQ... The home of the Freedom Caucus, as they call it, they are saying, for the moment anyway, absolutely no to Paul Ryan. We're going to take a quick break and come back with the founder of Conservative HQ and the funding father of the conservative movement in this country, Richard Vigory. And I'm going to ask him what the hell Republicans are thinking. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, and we're back with Richard Vigory right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Buckle up. House is rocking. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The house is a rockin'. No idea who is going to be the next speaker of the house. Paul Ryan says he will, but only if pretty much everyone agrees, all the Republicans at least agree uh, to support him and agree to make some rules changes to accommodate him. It's a tall ask, and right now the folks over at... uh, at uh, the Freedom Caucus, the so-called Freedom Caucus, used to call themselves the Tea Party Caucus. I don't remember when that uh, changed. But anyway, now they're the Freedom Caucus. Uh, They don't support Paul Ryan, at least not as of now, at least not uh, according to conservativehq.com, which regards itself as the, uh, the, the home for the Freedom Caucus, I think, founded by Richard Vigory. Uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. Paul, uh, Joe Biden, Vice President Joe Biden, in his uh, speech today in the uh, White House Rose Garden, as he said he was not going to run for president, did talk about the the need, the importance of not regarding Republicans as enemies and actually, you know, speaking with them and trying to find uh, compromise and consensus. I believe we have to end the divisive partisan politics that is ripping this country apart. And I think we can. It's mean-spirited, it's petty, and it's gone on for much too long. I don't believe, like some do, that it's naive to talk to Republicans. I don't think we should look at Republicans as our enemies. They are opposition. They're not our enemies. And for the sake of the country, we have to work together. As the president said many times, compromise is not a dirty word. But look at it this way, folks. How does this country function without consensus? How can we move forward without being able to arrive at consensus? Four more years of this kind of pitched battle may be more than this country can take. We have to change it. Well, I agree. We have to. And uh, Republicans and Democrats and everybody else ought to be talking. But right now, the Republicans can't even seem to find consensus amongst themselves. Nonetheless, uh, I take Joe Biden's uh, challenge today to reach out and to speak with Republicans. Richard Vigory is a longtime conservative icon. He is a pioneer of political direct mail fundraising. He's a political writer and a strategist. In 1975, he he founded Conservative Digest, where he challenged at the time Gerald Ford's nomination for president by the Republican Party, and he served as the magazine's publisher for 10 years. He's now the longtime chairman of conservativehq.com and has been dubbed the funding father of modern conservative strategy in the U.S. As we have been trying to unravel the, uh, some might call it an absolute mess that's going on in the U.S. House as the, uh, as the uh, Republicans there seem unable to choose a, a new replacement for uh, House Speaker John Boehner, nobody really knows which way this is going to go. As, you know, as I've been looking at this story, I've been trying to figure out what the hell Republicans are thinking here specifically uh, what you know what the hell the uh, the far right of that party is is thinking and if what their strategy is is actually meant to uh, to make the party look better because it doesn't appear to be working but Richard Vigory may disagree with me I interviewed him uh, years ago back in 2008 I think was the last time I had him on when I was guest hosting the uh, 
the Peter B. Collins show at the time. It was just after we at bradblog.com had honored him with one of our rarely, too rarely bestowed intellectually honest conservative awards in the wake of his call at the time for the entire GOP leadership from George W. Bush to Karl Rove to John Boehner to, quote, resign immediately following the loss of, uh, I think it was the third previously safe U.S. House seat in a row that was lost that year in a special election. He had charged that, quote, the conservative movement has been set back 10 to 20 years. He said the entirety of the GOP leadership had, quote, failed or outright betrayed conservative voters and that the GOP faced looming disaster in the upcoming elections that year. And in fact, back in 2008, they did. Uh, He was also, as I recall, intellectually honest enough uh, at the time during our conversation back then to admit that things the things that other Republicans seem to have a very difficult time admitting, for example, that Ronald Reagan was not a true conservative as it would be defined right now, uh, given that he had raised taxes uh, time and again during his presidency and so forth. So uh, it's been too long since I talked to him, and I'm hoping he can explain to me what the heck Republicans are actually thinking and trying to do at this point. Richard Vigory, welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Good to be back with you, Brad. Gosh, you've given me... uh so much material to talk about here. I could go on for hours. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. But uh, I will say this, that uh, as you kind of alluded to, I uh, I consider myself a conservative, not a Republican, mm-hmm. and I, but I do operate in the Republican Party, but do not consider myself a conservative, which is the case, quite frankly, of many, many of my uh, national uh, conservative friends. I was with hundreds of them over the weekend, and... Uh, you know, I think that was probably true of the vast majority of them, that they uh, think of themselves as conservatives, not, not Republicans. Okay, well, that, fair enough. Uh, and, and that's a good distinction to make, because I think there's a lot of folks who have been, you know, Republicans for years, calling themselves conservative, uh, but not really doing conservative things and vice versa. So at least you're making that distinction. L- let me ask you about... Uh, and, and we'll get back to anything in the intro that you want to disagree with or agree with. But uh, I, I'm trying to figure out what's going on in in the House uh, and how the Republican Party is actually going to find the next House speaker, one that can actually receive 218 votes from the I think it's 247 vote GOP caucus uh, that would be needed whenever the GOP can find a nominee and to bring their bring them you know before a full House vote. Uh, now, when you at Conservative HQ, Richard, when you say or write something, I notice that sure enough, a week or two later, the Republican Party, particularly those on, on the far right of the party, the so-called Freedom Caucus, formerly the Tea Party Caucus, that they seem to echo the very same things. Uh, now, you don't seem to make a lot of appearances in the media, but you have clearly influence, huge influence in the party. You opposed Kevin McCarthy's bid uh, for, for what appeared to be a shoe-in nomination for House Speaker. Then he dropped out. You now oppose Paul Ryan, the one House member that many, at least in the media, refer to as a consensus candidate, so-called, that can appeal to both the establishment and the so-called Freedom Caucus. So will you support Paul Ryan if He's ultimately nominated by the GOP caucus in the House, or will you and the Freedom Caucus, uh, with whom you have so much influence, oppose him 
even if he does agree to run and even if he does get the nomination uh, uh, when he runs uh, before the full House? Well, hey, let, let me, uh, you know, we, we'll see about Paul Ryan. There's <laughs> many, uh, many a slip between the lip and the cup here. We, it's, it's down the road a little bit. Let, let me, you, you keep asking, Brad, you know, what's happening, what's happening. Let, let me give you, your listeners, a, a quick history lesson, which uh, I'll be speaking later tonight uh, to a Tea Party group in uh, Virginia, and I'll go to Michigan and speak a couple of times this weekend to Tea Party groups. And uh, the message that I will send this week to various Tea Party groups is uh, quickly summarized right here, Mm -hmm. Uh, contained in a book I wrote a few years ago called Takeover, and it deals with uh, what I consider the most important political battle in America. And the most important political battle in America is not between Republicans and Democrats. It's inside the Republican Party, and it's a 103-year-old party. And so what you're seeing in the House of Representatives and the Republican caucus right now is a part of that 103-year-old uh, battle. And the subtitle of my book, Takeover, is the 100-year, now it's 103-year, war for the soul of the GOP and how conservatives can finally win it. In 1912, Teddy Roosevelt sought the Republican nomination against uh, William Howard Taft, failed, in essence went across the street, started a third party, uh, split the Republican Party vote, which led directly to Woodrow Wilson's election with less than 42% of the vote. And conservatives, principled, limited government, constitutional conservatives like myself, have been battling the progressive wing of the Republican Party ever since. And uh, we've lost a lot more than we've won. And uh, sometimes our opposition in the Republican Party looks like uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, sometimes uh, Wendell Wilkie or uh, uh, Eisenhower or Nixon or Ford or John McCain or Mitt Romney. But Bob Dole, etc. But that's the, the battle that's going on right now, and we're not going to go away. We uh, represent uh, probably about seventy percent of the seventy-five uh, percent of the Republican base vote is the limited government constitutional conservatives. So there, the Bible tells us, and Lincoln told us, a house divided cannot stand. And today, quite frankly, the Republican Party is a house divided. And what you're seeing is a very, very serious civil war going on. And uh, and I started, uh, I'm, I jokingly refer to myself sometimes as 003, which means I've been active at the national level of the conservative movement longer than every living conservative except two others. <laughs> so I've been around at the national level 53 years. And there was a time when we could meet the leadership in the proverbial phone booth. Well, we've uh, far advanced uh, that now, and it's a growing battle, and every year the conservative wing of the Republican Party gets stronger and stronger, and at some point there'll be a tipping point, and the constitutional conservatives, the limited government conservatives, will dominate the Republican Party. And in fact, my book, Takeover, I lay out a plan of how that can be done. And I think we're moving forward. Uh, you know, things take a long time, much longer usually than you think. But uh, possibly in 2017, the uh, limited government constitutional conservatives could be governing America. Might be uh, two, three, four years later. But, but it's going to happen at some point. We're going to dominate the Republican Party completely. And uh, we pretty much do so at the state level and the local level. Uh, but uh, the national level, we, uh, we still are in the grasp uh, of the uh, establishment Republicans, what we call the big government Republicans.
And, and I want to ask you about constitutional conservatism. But before I do, you since you have mentioned that a house divided cannot stand, aren't you helping to divide the house? And and I guess is that is that your point here? Are you trying not oh. the, the divide uh, the, the house the Republican Party house? I mean, are you trying well, you to know, take down that party? I'm sure your listeners can identify with this. Let's say that there was a. Uh, you know, a conservative Democrat wing of the Democratic Party that was in control of the National Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of your third force groups out there, your grassroots, they were all progressives, liberals. You could understand there'd be a civil war going on in the Democratic Party because mm-hmm. the leadership would not represent the grassroots of the Democratic Party. And that's all that's happening with the Republicans. Uh, and the voters, by the way, Brad, do not like establishment Republicans. They really do reject them uh, across the board. In 2006, as you pointed out earlier, the uh, Republicans lost the Congress. In 2008, they lost more seats in the Congress and the White House. 2012, they lost the White House again. In each of those three elections, 2006, 2008, 2012, the face of the opposition to the Democrats was the big government Republicans, Karl Rove, George mm-hmm. Bush, Bill Frist, Danny Hastert, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Baynard, Mitch McConnell, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. People don't like those big government Republicans. However, in 2010, 2014, they are nowhere to be seen. In those two elections, uh, the Republicans won big victories. What the voters see is Rush Limbaugh, Hannity, Levin, the Tea Party, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz. And they say, yes, I like that. And they gave the Republicans a big victory in 2010, 2014. So when I talk to Republicans and they say, we've got to beat Hillary, got to beat Hillary, I say, that's fine. I understand that. But if you nominate uh, an establishment Republican, a Chris Christie, a Jeb Bush type, uh, John Kasich, you're going to lose. The people do not like big government establishment Republicans. So you, well, Let me I, just say one last thing. Sure. The big four big elections in my lifetime, a long time, and each time the leadership of the opposition to the Democrats was uh, conservatives. Reagan, 1980, 84, uh, 1994 election, uh, 2010. Now it's actually five with 2014. So five elections, all led by big uh, by conservatives. Well, uh, you argue that uh, the American people don't like the establishment Republicans, and and I would tend to agree. You're right when they all turn out to vote uh, for at least in presidential years that the establishment Republicans don't do very well. I would also argue, however. That they don't care for the uh, so-called constitutional conservatives either. I mean, they are, you know, wildly unpopular. If you poll the the nation as a whole, if you ask them about uh, the Tea Party, that has never been particularly uh, uh, popular. And I would argue that they have only been in power now that they are propped up by gerrymandering in, you know, in a few of these districts where they can say anything they want and they won't lose because they face no competition. Do you support gerrymandering as we have it now as a constitutional conservative? Do you support the way that our congressional districts have been gamed essentially to prop up, uh, you know, certain political uh, ideologues, frankly, whether they be Tea Party Republicans or, uh, you know, urban Democrats? Well, two points on that, Brad. Uh, You know, I have no problem with with gerrymandering 
because the Democrats did it for decades and decades and decades, and they still do it when they get a chance. In the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, the Democrats uh, were gerrymandering across the country and controlled Congress, as we know, for 40 years with massive gerrymandering. Yeah, but, 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 but did we, from... Richard, let me ask you, did, did we have a, a case where you actually had more Republicans? I, I mean, we had in the last oh, couple yeah, of sure. elections, more well, Democrats received votes to be in the U.S. House than Republicans, yeah, and yet I'm, Republicans I'm kept the majority. But Brad, it's not... Your, your listeners are not going to believe that Democrats are lily white pure. They just really are so pure as driven snow. They never engage in gerrymandering. We, we know both parties do it, okay? It's not that one party is guilty of and the other party is pure, not so. And the second thing is the major way we have gerrymandering now is the voters. The voters are self-selecting. They are moving. Uh, liberal voters are moving to the big city and the college towns, etc. And the conservative voters are moving to the suburbs, uh, exurbs, uh, the rural areas. So it's primarily, and they're moving south and west, and so the voters are realigning themselves. And that's, yes, there is gerrymandering on both sides, but the voters are the primary uh, drivers of the uh, uh, the way the congressional districts shake out these days. I, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one, Richard, because, I, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, and, and you know, my listeners are, are not necessarily Democrats, and you're right, they hold the Democrats' feet to the fire as well. But, uh, you know, it's clear that we now have computers. We've now gamed this down to, you know, the blocks of where people live to the point that I don't think, you know, I'd have to see it. I don't think there was ever a time... Uh, when more Republicans voted than Democrats, and yet Democrats uh, retained the uh, majority in the U.S. House, so we'll we'll agree to disagree on that point. But uh, it, it, let me let me move on because there's a lot of stuff I want to get to. Is is the job of Congress as you see it um, to govern, or is it to fight for principles that they believe in, and even if that means we shut down the government entirely? If they don't don't get those principles they're fighting for, well, let, let me uh, address that issue. Uh, you know, if let's say that uh, the Republicans in Congress uh, pass a budget mm-hmm. and they defund Planned Parenthood, right. uh, and the president vetoes it, who's shutting down government? The uh, the president is shutting down government. So without getting into semantics here, I just want to make that one Well, point. the president doesn't it, have the ability to change what it is that the Congress does. He but, can say this well, is no not acceptable. Well, no matter what happens, uh-huh. it's always the Republicans that are shutting down government. I know it's a good PR tactics, and it, it because of your friends in the media, uh, it, it uh, seems to work more times than not. But uh, it's not Republicans shutting down government. It's the Democrats saying it's our way or the highway. But let me talk about this thing about governing here. Uh-huh. What... Uh, when Democrats say we want to compromise, the code, that's code word, uh, words for we want to grow government. Uh, that means that we want some growth in government. Compromise never to a Democrat, to a progressive, never means less government, less regulation. If, Brad, if, if you uh, have a home that you want to sell for $300,000, I want to buy it for $250,000, there's probably a compromise somewhere there. But if I want to buy your home for $250,000, but you don't want to sell it at all, where's the compromise? So when Republicans say we don't want another government program, 
and liberals say we want this government program and we say no why is it that we must always give you some part of what you want i don't understand why compromise means always growing government why can't compromise me reducing government well i i think it is in many cases if you look at what the democrats did and they negotiated with themselves on this point for uh uh, the Affordable Care Act for Obamacare. Uh, they tried very hard. First, uh, Obamacare itself was a you know a Republican plan from the '90s, as I'm sure you recall from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, but before they even started negotiations. Uh, they gave Republicans all sorts of things when it came to tax cuts. Uh, I'm sorry, the stimulus when uh, uh, Obama came in in the midst of the you know the global financial crash. They gave a whole bunch of tax cuts to Republicans as part of the compromise. I, I think I may disagree with you there as well, and not to mention less government. Uh, you know, they have been calling for us to get the hell out of these wars forever. Uh, Republicans want to stay in these wars. Republicans want more laws, more regulations on uh, who can marry whom, on, uh, you know, a women, woman's right to choose and so forth. Um, I I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I don't know if the facts actually bear it out. Well, in terms of uh, many of these issues here, remember uh, that saying Republican is not synonymous mm -hmm. with saying conservative. You're talking about the wars. Mm -hmm. We probably could make a lot of common ground <laughs> on that because those of us who are uh, traditional conservatives, mm -hmm. uh, limited government constitutional conservatives, we're probably a lot closer to your position on overseas wars than we would be to uh, Dick Cheney and, uh, you know, the big government Republicans. Well, they got a funny way of, of showing it, to be frank. I'm uh, speaking with Richard Vigory, and I know you supported uh, Ron Paul years ago, and he, of course, did want to get out of those foreign wars. But, I mean, Republicans now control Congress, and I know you'll say it's the establishment Republican and uh, Republicans, and fair enough. But where are the, cons the so-called constitutional conservatives saying, hey, we need to debate uh, war in the Middle East. We need to debate this continuing endless war in Afghanistan. We need to debate the, what's going on in Syria you know, and, and ISIS and so forth. I don't hear them making. I hear them uh, you know, saying we're going to pass a law to shut that will shut down the government if we continue to fund Planned Parenthood for some pretend controversy. But what about real things that are going on why is the where's where the freedom caucus raising noise and, and and you know making raising hell about that when american lives really stand in the balance the, let me just uh, correct one thing i never uh, have endorsed for the presidency uh rand paul or ron paul uh, i uh you know, I've had different websites up there where I give people a voice, a chance to speak out. But I've never, never, I've supported them. In fact, uh, our company was heavily, heavily involved in uh, Dr. Ron Paul's uh, campaigns when he first ran for Congress in the 1970s. Uh, we did uh, all of his uh, postal mail, national mail, etc. But for presidency, I've never endorsed. Uh, if I said for presidency, my mistake. I meant that you had yep. supported Ron Paul in the past, and he had been uh, yeah, uh, back right. in the '70s, very yeah. much so. And I'm I'm a big fan of both of them, but uh, I'm not supporting anybody for president right now. But uh, you know, in terms of uh, national security, uh, that's an area that uh, the liberals and the progressives are out of step with the American people. I think that uh, we. Uh, this president, for some strange reason, is not able to pronounce the word 
radical Muslims, radical Islam. And uh, in this last election, 2014, the Democrats, like many generals, they fought the last election or the last war. And in 2012, that seemed to work for them, war on women, war on women. And they tried it again in 2014, had their head handed to them, because life had moved on, and people were concerned about national security, and women, single women's uh, vote changed on national security. It literally changed 10, 12, or more percent. And going forward in 2016, the Democrats are still of the opinion that we're not at war with the radical Islam, radical Muslims. Uh, they're going to have their head handed to them in the election. Well, I, I think the electorate changed in 2014, as uh, uh, Democrats don't tend to come out for those off-year elections in, in the same way. Uh, we'll see whose whose head gets handed to them uh, on on these points. But I, I just the idea that uh, either Obama, uh, who has continued the, the Bush policies in a bunch of countries in the Middle East, the idea that they're not interested in in terrorism, I I, I think is misleading. I just I'll well, it's put not that terrorism. Yeah. It's radical Muslims. We're we're not at war with blue-eyed blonde Swedes. We're at war with radical Muslims, radical well, Islam. The American people are kind of concerned about a leader that will not tell the people, the public who we're at war with. Well, to be frank, uh, Richard, you know that uh, more folks have died from these uh, blue-eyed, uh, uh, blonde radicals in this country uh, via gun violence far more than have been killed uh, by terrorism since 9-11. It's, it's not even close. As far as what endangers this country? Nice effort to change the subject. <laughs> in 2016 elections uh, going to be fought heavily about uh, whether we are at war with radical Muslims or not. And when you've got a political party that refuses to acknowledge that we're at war and the people are frightened and concerned, uh, you're going to have a real uh, arbitros around your neck there in that election. Well, I I don't think it was a, a, an attempt to change the subject. It was an attempt to say, hey, what are the actual threats that America faces? What actually is our greatest national security threat? And I think that uh, Democrats are concerned, not concerned enough, frankly, uh, you know, about the threat to the American people, which is, uh, you know, Americans being killed by the tens of thousands in this country by, yes, domestic terrorism. But again, we'll agree to disagree. Fred, okay. Let me make one point that I failed to make earlier right. about the uh, battle that's going on in the House of Representatives Republican Caucus here. The, uh, the, the underlying uh, concern that the grassroots has, and they're putting enormous pressure not only on the Freedom Caucus uh, uh, members of, uh, in Congress, but also most all House members. Yes, they want legislation passed. Yes, they want uh, you know this law passed or this law defeated. But the number one thing, so much so that uh, it just dominates everything, is we're looking for a fighter. Uh, or our fighters, uh, and we do not have that in our leadership at the present time. We would like people to represent uh, us in Congress as effectively as we feel Nancy Pelosi, Harry Reid, Barack Obama represent their viewpoint out there. We just have people uh, in the form of uh, Baynard and McCarthy and Pete Sessions uh, and Baynard, I mean, uh, Mitch McConnell, John Thune, that are just silent. They just, uh, one outrage after another and they're silent and the grassroots is white hot with anger at the silence and the ineptness of uh, our supposed leaders out there and that's what's driving this uh problem with the house speaker selection right now is just 
people don't feel that we've got leaders who prepared to fight for our views and values. All right, and let me ask you, because I know you do have to go, let me ask you one more question here. The, uh, the debt ceiling, the national debt ceiling, needs to be raised by November 3rd. If not, uh, the, the country may default for the first time. As a conservative, uh, do you believe we should uh, let the country default on debts on on you know things that we have already purchased? Because uh, this seems very unconservative to me. We've already paid, you know, we've already bought these things. It seems we need to pay for them. Are you willing? And it will also cost a lot of money if uh, if we do default on our loans. Yeah. So, w- what's your position on that? Well, I, th- I would hope that the uh, the Congress could get together with the president and come to grips with the fact that we have, as the government says unsustainable spending where the word unsustainable has a real meaning it means it cannot go on and rather than just routinely pass spending uh, extensions i think the congress and the president need to get together and rein in our spending and make it part of a deal to extend uh, the uh, uh, debt limit but also rein in spending. I mean, the Democrats have got to come to grips at one some point here that we do have unsustainable spending. But, it cannot go on. And, and I uh, might agree with you there, but the debt ceiling itself is stuff that Congress has already paid, you know, has already passed, has already committed to, has already paid for and, and, and borrowed money uh, in order to pay for it. Shouldn't well, we pay have off our have loans? discussion with the public. Let's, let's, let's have that discussion with the public and just discuss about, you know, the spending priorities of, uh, of our government. And, and as a conservative, you'd rather see us lose a lot of money, as we will, <laughs> if in fact we, we default on those I, debts. I think we are heading towards a cliff where we will be no turning around, and we need to have a conversation with the American people about our priorities, and the Democrats have been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to stop spending. And I think we need to have that discussion with the American people, and this 2016 election is going to provide us that opportunity. And we will continue this discussion, <laughs> I hope, uh, Richard. Richard Vigory uh, from conservativehq.com. Uh, greatly appreciate your time here. Greatly appreciate your willing to uh, disagree with me on just about everything. And I, I hope we, we can do it again sometime in the future. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on, Brad. Thank you, Bye. Richard. Well, you know, I, I greatly appreciate talking to Richard Vigory. He is, uh, like I say, a conservative icon. He is, I think he's 82 years old. Um, and, you know, at least he's willing to talk to people like me. A lot of these times I try to get uh, right-wingers on here. They won't even show up. They won't even return the call. So I give him credit for doing that. I'm disappointed. He seems a little bit less to uh, less inclined uh, to acknowledge conservatism, uh, you know, the cost that that's going to bring to our country, frankly, if they shut down the government uh, than he was when we spoke, uh, what, eight years ago or so? Yeah, it sounds like he's gotten um, more radical uh, as time has passed. And also, I'm just sort of surprised because he says, oh, I look forward to having this discussion about how we're going to cut spending in the 2016 election. But this debt ceiling limit is coming up, what, next month? There is no time to have this conversation, and he didn't really come on about whether or not he felt like it was right to default on our debt so we could have this conversation. He's he's digging in his heels. I think he's, you know, they're feeling like they're winning this thing, I think is wrong. They are not winning. They are uh, losing. But within their own caucus, I think they he feels like he's winning and he can afford to do this. Now to say that, oh, well, let's just let America, the American people have this conversation. 
The American people have had this conversation over and over and over again. How many times have we, uh, you know, had these these showdowns over the debt ceiling and the idea that if Congress has already done something and we've already borrowed money to pay for that, then we should pay back what we have borrowed. To me, that seems to be a, a bedrock, yes, conservative principle that, you know, you don't welch on your debts, man. And so uh, to me, uh, to, to, you know, keep this hostage taking going, uh, very disappointed to, to hear that. But uh, you know what? I'm glad to talk to him. I want to continue that conversation because, frankly, I don't think that uh, people on the progressive side of the aisle and people on the con- uh, uh, conservative side of the aisle talk anymore talk at all even to disagree they yell at each other and uh, they or past each they other. yell past each other or they simply don't talk they live in their own world so if we can change that a little bit here get a better idea of what the hell conservatives must be thinking uh i think that's good for all of us so maybe you now have a little bit better idea I don't know if I do or not, but we'll keep the conversation going. All right, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, as ever. Thank you, Desi. To uh, our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest today, conservative icon Richard Vigory of conservativehq.com. Good luck to them all. We'll be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Uh, Until then, if you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it at bradblog.com or... You can subscribe for free over at iTunes, get our shows every single day. And while you're at iTunes, please jump in there and give us a good review. It makes it a little bit easier for everyone else to find our program as well. You can find and follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog, And you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. All right, until we meet again. Oh, we got a humdinger planned, uh, hopefully, for tomorrow's program. You're not going to want to miss that. All right, until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.